I know people don't want to hear that, but that could be a harsh reality. Cap rates and interest rates over the last 40 years have plummeted and decreased, and now interest rates are starting to rise again. So I think cap rates will increase a little bit, especially compared to the last couple of years. So you have to project that in the models, I hope. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Sam Bates. Today, we're learning about ground-up multifamily development. We're digging through a number of topics here. We're talking about how they find and entitle the land, how they do market analysis, the folks that they work with, how they decide what types of properties to build on the raw land parcels that they acquire, how they protect the potential downsides in structuring their purchase and sale agreements to protect themselves and their investors, and, and so much more. Really fascinating conversation. Sam is a wealth of knowledge on this topic, and I'm excited to bring this one to you today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I'll look forward to connecting with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping with the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And if you're hearing my voice right now, that means you're not engaging with us on YouTube. We do post these interviews along with the video on YouTube. If you'd like to get that and some more bonus content, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show on YouTube. Check out the videos there. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the thumbs up button if you enjoy what you see. Once again, our guest today is Sam Bates. We're digging into ground up multifamily development. A lot of questions around that. Really excited to bring this one to you. Without any further ado, here we go. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself and what you invest in? Yeah, Taylor, thank you for having me. And we invest really across the spectrum of real estate. We do single family development, land develop, multi multifamily development and acquisition. And then I primarily focus on the multifamily side, but I have two partners and we have roughly 50 employees in our organization. So we are able to cover the spectrum and the gamut. And we have, I mean, we have even a title company, a land development company, ground moving earthwork company. So it's just pretty much vertically integrated as you can be minus the property management. Awesome. So a lot of irons in the fire. And today I'd like to dig into the the process, the reasons that one might want to invest or focus on ground up development of multifamily. So, you know, let's get started at least at a high level. Why would you build multifamily when from my perspective, there's perfectly good multifamily out there that's already built that you can go buy. Why would you focus on building ground up? I think ground up development can be great in many ways. And let me preface with each cycle or different parts of the cycle. I think acquisitions could be more beneficial than development, but we development in pretty much secondary and tertiary markets where there's not the big players and there's not a lot of supply. 
So we'll go into a market, analyze it, have market studies done. And if the demand is there, we can go in, we can buy the land and we buy it from unzoned or we'll rezone each piece of the land and we can create a lot of value that way. And then owning the construction company, the dirt work company, each phase of the process, we create a lot of value for our investors and for us. And over the time horizon of, of the company, we've learned that, and it makes sense. Some investors want cash flow. Some investors will take on more risk. All investors' time horizons are different. So we were going in and raising the capital up front and then taking on the entire project, but that created a lot more risk and just it pushed out the timelines for some investors. So we've decided to basically break it up where if we do a syndication, we'll have essentially a land fund and people can invest in the land fund. Then if they want to invest in the actual development of the multifamily, they can invest in the second syndication. Or we've done it where we'll do all the pre-development cost, all the development cost, and then we'll sell it to the syndication. So there's a lot of ways that you can slice and dice it. And we've learned that over the years where some investors are retirees and they have a fixed income and they want that consistent cash flow. Development probably isn't for them, but if you have a longer time horizon, if you're more geared or inclined to take on, I won't even say risk, but just longer time horizons, development's the way to go. And I think one of my personal favorite reasons for development is you're building a property brand new. You're going to get high quality tenants. The maintenance is minimal. The last couple of years with COVID, with inflation, labor costs are skyrocketing. And we were building pre-COVID probably for 120,000 a unit. Now we're building for what people can buy 1970s properties for. So we create a lot of value or we create a lot of value in just the pricing of the property. And I'd much rather have a 2022 build than a 1970 build if you're in at the same basis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned secondary and tertiary markets doing that market analysis. What are some factors that you look for to make sure that the demand is there in those smaller markets? In some of the smaller markets, I mean, the smallest market we built in was 3,000 wow. people. And that was honestly very hard to find data. And it was a deal me and my two partners did internally. So we were more willing to take that risk. But if we're going to raise capital from people, we're definitely going to do it in a larger market where you can get BBG or a reputable firm to provide a true market study. But we'll look at that. But we also look at just, I think, the typical drivers that most people would look at with acquisitions, whether it's median household income, population growth, what the schools, what's surrounding it. Obviously on demand or on development, I want higher median household incomes than I would on acquisitions just because they're going to have to pay the rent. So on a development, we want minimum probably 70,000 minimum median household income. Where on acquisitions, we can go down a little bit further because the rents aren't going to be as high. But I think it's pretty similar. And then BBG and some of the ones who provide the true market study can show the supply demand characteristics and we could find it. But since we're paying for it anyway, we'll just use use their data. <laughs> Interesting. So a lot of folks in the 
syndication space these days, when they talk about selecting a market, they'll typically do those studies internally. It's probably not quite as detailed as like a third-party provider. So yeah. this is the first I've, I've heard of BBG. Can you tell us about working with a market study, a market analysis type of a provider and, and what information they give you to help you make a decision? Yeah. And each provider has kind of a summary proposal or they can do an in-depth proposal. And like the first project we did that we thought we were going HUD, they required a third-party market mm. study. So we got it back and it was 200 pages plus. So it's a very detailed study. It talks about employers, demand, really anything you can think of. It mentions, it talks about opportunities. It discusses if there is demand, if there isn't demand. Like we were going to build in one market that is about an hour north of Dallas that's been on fire. And we got the study back and it showed demand of 300 units and we were planning on building 276. So, and we knew there was a couple other developments going on there. So we pulled and it's just really beneficial. It talks, it goes into the economies of the city, county. Some of them will talk about most of our developments are all but one's been DFW. So we'll talk about DFW in general. So it just provides you a lot of information that if you do on your own, you can find it, but it's going to take you thousands of hours. Well, maybe not thousands, but definitely hundreds of hours to, to find it. I think it's really interesting that you brought up a case where that market analysis didn't tell you what they thought you wanted to hear because they, they probably think yeah. you want to hear, oh yeah, go for it. It's a home run. But in reality, yeah. they told you it's kind of probably actually marginal. There's not enough demand there really. I think that's an interesting case that and that's a good sign that they'd give you probably honest information and not what they thought you wanted to hear. Yeah, they do give you honest information. And like one of the projects we built, they showed a demand of almost 900 units and we built 133. So there's plenty of demand, but we've seen multiple developments going up. And right now you could argue that the supply is out outpacing the demand and there's Right now, that market is averaging pro in, in the class A, probably 90 to 92%, where a couple of years ago is 96, 98%. In um, terms of occupancy. So yes, in terms of occupancy, but it's on the path of progress. It's in a high growth market. So in a couple of years, it'll be back or maybe less than a couple of years, it'll be back to the 96 to 98% occupancy that we were expecting when we were going in, but I'm, I'm never going to model that high. <laughs> that high occupancy. So there's definitely a buffer. And like we, this particular project, we talking about costs and why development. So lucrative, at least for our perspective and our investors is we built it for 13 to 14 million and appraised at 29. Nice. So we were able to provide our investors a significant return on the refi. And we're essentially building two phases or two properties for the price of one. Wow. That's great. That's great. So Throughout this process, you're, we talked a little bit earlier about identifying the land and getting it entitled and all that kind of a thing, and then building the, the properties themselves. One of the things that I think people really run against when they first start thinking about this business is, okay, you have to go find the land in the right place with the right characteristics that the owner wants to sell at a reasonable price and all these kinds of things. They're not de developing it themselves. How do you get all of those pieces to come together to just get a 
piece of land that's going to work for these deals. It is a lot more tricky to find the land to build than just get an acquisition. All the acquisitions we've done, I think most people, especially if they're buying 50 or plus units, will go through a broker. The land that we've gotten have come almost directly from the seller every single time. And it's not that we're sending out thousands of yellow letters or whatever. I mean, we don't market that way at all, but the markets we invest in, we've had relationships and boots on the ground for 10, 20, 30 years. And from like the home building side, we're the biggest home builder in that county. So everybody knows us. The property that we built for 13 million or so, the landowner was my partner's essentially like, not not true grandpa, but they've known each other for decades. And we were able to buy the land significantly under value. And he gave us time to go through the zoning process, the planning process, because that's, I mean, depending on the city you're working with, that can take a year. So if you have a seller who's not willing to wait, it's going to be very difficult to potentially go through the zoning process. And we structure our LOIs or PSAs where we do have time. And I think some of the people I've talked to that are just starting out in development, they think it's the LOI PSA should be structured like acquisition and that's just not enough time. Or you bring in a significant amount of risk because you're putting up a lot more money than you would be if like you might buy the land, then the city rejects multifamily zoning. So you're you're back at square one and have to reevaluate how you're gonna use the land. So your purchase and sale agreement in this case would have contingencies that we're not going to close on this unless we're able to get the city to agree or something along those lines that's going to protect you in case the city says, no way, get out of here. Exactly. It's all about CYA for yourself and your investors, if you have investors at that stage. And a lot of cities are open. A lot of cities know that the workforce housing is the demand is significant. They need more supply, but some cities don't like apartments. They they don't want you building. So it just depends on the relationships you have with the cities. And like one of one of the projects we did, we've worked in that city for decades and thought it was going to be very easy to get through. And it's been honestly a nightmare. And it's been difficult. And it took like they didn't tell us, but for six months there was a pipeline burst. So all the engineers were focused on that, <laughs> which maybe they should be. Yeah. But but it just slowed down the entire zoning process for every development in the pipeline. It would be good if they gave you a heads up, you know, it'd be good yeah. to have that, that information. So when it comes to negotiating that with the seller, is this, I would imagine this is an area where your reputation really matters. They know that you're serious, but is that enough? Do they need assurances or something along the lines to say, you know, really show that you're serious and, and pushing things forward yeah. with the, the cities and counties. Yeah, obviously your reputation is going to be key to to any acquisition, whether it's land or a multifamily acquisition, but you do have to show progress. Like we've had to put down more earnest money or we've had to put down X number of dollars hard after each phase of the process. And that, for instance, the one that the engineers stopped working on it for six months, we had to bring another 150,000 hard. Wow. So if it wasn't passed or it wasn't zone multifamily, I won't say we would have lost a significant amount of money, but we definitely would have had to deviate to a new plan. So 
you have to be more flexible and be willing to pivot during development, but there's a lot of ways you can go. I mean, if you can't build multifamily, sometimes they'll let you build townhouses or single family development. And luckily we have all those arrows and and our war chest to pivot and it's, it's helped us. Luckily we haven't had to do that where we plan on doing a multifamily development and turn it into a single family development or what, whatever the situation is, but we have that ability if needed. Okay. So we've talked about, you know, class A development. I don't know how much that borders on luxury, but I, I'd love to ask how you think about the, the actual finishes on the properties that you build, like how high level do you really need to go? How much does it just being new construction kind of help along the process to help it earn a bit more, bring in more rent? Like, how do you think about the actual level of finish in the the properties? That's actually a really good question. And a lot of people that talk about workforce housing say, well, why can't you build a property, quote unquote, like a B class property or C class? Well, the materials aren't that significantly mm-hmm. different in price. And we import most of our materials from Asia. So it, from a financial standpoint, it makes no sense for us to put in a lower level. Granted, we're I won't say in sticks, but we build in 30,000 po- population, sometimes 10,000, but they still want quartz or granite. I mean, granite's the bare minimum, I feel like, yes. these days. They all want stainless steel. We have the farmhouse sinks, so it's top-of-the-line materials, and may- maybe some builders can do it, and I think if you get very high incentives from the city or county or maybe even a state level to build subsidized housing, you could do it. But if you're just taking it from, if if you aren't getting any tax incentives or any breaks, it makes no sense, in my opinion, to build maybe a less inferior product than a new class A property. And I mean, our class A properties aren't going to compete with a AAA property in uptown Dallas or Manhattan. We don't have all the luxury amenities, but we do have nice amenities. We have, I mean, we spend two hundred, three hundred thousand on the pool area and the amenities that go there. So I, I would live there. <laughs> right. Yeah, just by virtue of the property being new, new materials, then it's going to be a certain level of of quality and niceness. But you can go much, much, much higher and still spend more and more on those materials. But does it, it really make sense? Exactly. So yeah. you mentioned something that I think is is not unique to Texas, but something that a lot of Texas investors have come up against as values have risen, all these things, which is property taxes. And projecting those into the future when you're developing a new property, you're going to have to have some kind of idea of what your tax bill is going to be on the back end. So how do you guys work through that question and and accurately assess what your tax bill is going to be a few years down the road? Yeah, it's it's tricky. And Texas is one of the most aggressive states for property mm-hmm. taxes. And unfortunately, <laughs> I've learned. I, I don't know if this is a superpower of mine, but myself and another partner, we met at a consulting firm and I've worked in property taxes for 10 years. So I have pretty good insight. So I do my estimate and then our property tax consultants on any new project acquisition development, we send it to them and kind of get their opinion because they're up to date. I haven't done property taxes in five or six years. So we get their opinions and it's honestly a guesstimate. But from their experience, from my experience, I know the counties that are super aggressive, the counties that aren't, 
a lot of the counties that we work in, they aren't aggressive, which is phenomenal. Like the project I was telling you before the show started, we built an 18. I mean, this year, for some reason, the county reduced the value. I have no idea why, but we aren't going to argue. But the the larger counties, they're super aggressive. And it, you, I mean, one of the counties we're in, we've been in litigation for two years now, trying to get the value reduced. And we've actually even sold the property, but we're still trying to claw back some of the, the dollars that we felt were erroneously, we erroneously had to pay. Interesting. Okay. So as we move forward, you know, interest rates are going up, there's inflation, everything. People are talking about the future of multifamily and development, all that kind of a thing. But what are your thoughts about how increasing interest rates, the increasing costs of debt will impact new development? And then how do you plan on or how are you dealing with your expectations for the future? Yeah. Interest rates on acquisitions and developments, it's could wreak a lot of havoc. Luckily, on the developments, since we have experience, we're seeing, I mean, the last interest rate we got was six. So it hasn't significantly changed that much, but all the costs are increasing and it is going to impact returns. I think investors are going to have to come to expect a little bit lower returns. The last five to 10 years, you could argue is one of the golden ages of real estate and people aren't going to 3x their money and two or three years now. I know people don't want to hear that, but that could be a harsh reality. Cap rates and interest rates over the last 40 years have plummeted and decreased, and now interest rates are starting to rise again. So I think cap rates will increase a little bit, especially compared to the last couple of years. So you have to project that in the models. I hope if theory follows, rental rates will increase. So maybe it offsets some of the costs, but I do think you have to be more vigilant in what you buy and how you build, maybe not from the multifamily side because we build as, as cheap as we possibly can, but like from the single family side, instead of fo focusing on the four, five, six, $700,000 houses, we're going down and focusing on the three to $400,000 houses so we can turn it quicker. And maybe multifamily is that way where you can try to skimp in a few areas just to cut costs to offset the insurance, property taxes, interest rate carry or interest expense. So it's going to be hard or it's going to be challenging to navigate what's coming. But I've always said multifamily and real estate in general, I feel like we have a competitive advantage over almost any other business because you do get sometimes too much debt is a detriment, but we do get 60, 70, 80% financing at fairly cheap money, especially compared to PREF for investor expectations. Then in Texas and the Sun Belt, and I mean, across the country where people are moving, there's demand. I've seen the NAA say there's a 4.2 million unit shortage of apartments. I've seen housing at 7 million shortage. So I, I think we're, we're definitely grateful where we're at because we have so much population growth that it has helped weather some of the storms that we've may may have had if we didn't have that population growth. Okay. Okay. Well, appreciate your thoughts on that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. 
Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Sam, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I mentioned the development in the 3000 population market. I honestly did not want to do it. (laughs) And I was kind of kicking and screaming against my partner and he's like, we're doing it. And it turned out where we almost 5X our money. Oh, it was, it was a phenomenal investment. I, I'm grateful that, that he essentially forced me to do it, but it, it was it was in an area that looking back was growing significantly, but it was a city I wasn't familiar with. And when I see 3000 people, my analytical brain just starts running, but it was a smaller development. It was something that perfect time, perfect place and just worked out well. Nice. Well, good. You listened to experience, even though it was kicking and screaming and it worked out for you. Yeah. Uh, so we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment, I, I before I got into multifamily and partnered with my partners, I did a lot of single family by myself. And I thought I could go down the flipping route and just get, get rich like HGTV <laughs> and all the quote unquote gurus talk about. So I was working a consulting job, working a significant amount of money a time and I bought four properties at once. I was like, I'll flip them all. And the general contractor made money. The real estate agent made money. All the middle men, the wholesaler made money. I didn't make money. So I quickly realized I need to stop doing that. And there's a lot of lessons. Like one was a fire damage house that was out of my core competency. I thought it could easily be done, but even though it was the worst investment and I broke even or might've lost a couple thousand dollars, looking back on it, that was in 2012. If I would have held those houses, they're double to triple the, what they're worth. Now they're double or triple from what I sold. So real estate's a long-term game. If, if you can hold on to it over time, you're going to make money. It it might not be easy, but you're going to, end and finish and you'll be happy with the results well and that was a good time to be buying real estate as well 2012 yeah my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing i feel like i learn lessons every day the most important lesson i've learned though is to be decisive just to make the decision and move on whether that's hiring somebody firing somebody For instance, I feel like we've let several property managers stay at the property too long and it never got better. So when I first realized we should have fired him, that should have been it. And just being decisive is beneficial. It decreases the bandwidth in your brain where you can focus focus on higher value add activities and keep progressing and moving and kicking the can down the road. Nice. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today, teaching us all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? 
Yeah. The best place is at basecapitalgroup.com slash invest, or you can reach me through social media. I'm not on there all the time, so it might take a little while to respond, but I will respond. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.